Hi, everyone. Welcome. My name is Bob Goodsell, and I have the joy of serving as North Campus's pastor up in DeForest. And so a lot of times I don't get to see you Sunday mornings as we worship in, at DeForest High School uh, on Sunday mornings at 9.30. So it's good to be with you. And while we're greeting you here at the Sprecher campus, I just want to say hi to my friends at the Arbors. Welcome. Um, and then I want to say hi to my friends at the Classic with Pastor Cal. And, uh, and then for those of uh, you watching at North Campus, sorry I can't be with you guys, but I love you. And uh, thanks for watching and joining us today. Well, today I want to talk about the area of prayer. And I want to just start out by asking you, is there an area in your life that you, it seems that God is trying to get your attention all the time, time and time again, maybe throughout your whole life, maybe for many years, God is trying to get your attention? Well, for me, that area is prayer. And today we continue our series of Pass the Mic, and I realize there's a lot that we could say about prayer. And I realize we could have a whole sermon series just on prayer, just as we could for each of the topics that we're covering in our series of Pass the Mic. There's a lot to be said about it, but I want to share with you just some of my growth areas in the area of prayer. But first of all, I have a confession to make. If uh, you're here today and you think I've got this prayer thing all uh, wired together and I know what I'm talking about, I'm learning. I have a lot to learn. In fact, here's my confession. I confess to you that I often live my life, go about work, and go about planning my life, and I even do ministry with a lack of prayer in my life. Now, that's an indictment on me for my laziness, for my selfishness, of my self-sufficiency. It's not something to be proud of, and yet it's something I feel that God keeps on exposing in my life, and he wants me to grow in the area of prayer. And maybe some of you can relate to that as you continue to grow in prayer. In fact, I would say most of us want to grow in the area of prayer. There's so much that we could say about prayer. In fact, we could have that whole series, as I mentioned, on prayer. You know, we could study things like, what is prayer? How do we pray? When do we pray? Examples of prayer, answers to prayer, and the list could go on and on. And the fact is that the Bible is full of encouragements and examples of how to pray. But rather than jumping around to a lot of different verses in the Bible regarding prayer, I just wanted to share two thoughts or two things with you today in the area of prayer. One is a thought that God has used recently to uh, bring to mind, to remind me to pray. And the other is a verse that I want to share with you that's our passage today in Luke 18. So first, let's just talk about that thought. The thought comes from a quote in the book called Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. And this is a book that, uh, a little 40-day devotional book with a few pages each day that Mark Batterson has written that a number of people at North Campus have read, and it's been a real challenge to us in our prayer lives. And he says this, and this is the quote, this is the thought, prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best that God can do. Prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. And quite frankly, if we believe that God is God, then that's a big, big difference, isn't it? And the reality is, uh, I will do anything but pray. In fact, I oftentimes joke about the fact, well, if all else fails, I'll pray. And, you know, maybe you do that too. You think, well, Lord, I've run my course. I've tried to figure this thing out. Finally, Lord, I, I don't know what else to do. I need to pray. And prayer becomes the last thing I resort to rather than the first thing I resort to. 
And so it's the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. You see, it's easy to do anything but pray. And um, I think of, uh, when I think about prayer and my lack of prayer, it's kind of like the definition of insanity. You remember that definition? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's how our lack of prayer can seem as we keep on doing over and over again those things and we expect a different result and we've never really entrusted or gone to God in that area of prayer. Again, this simply shows, you know, when I talk about insanity, it shows my um, self-sufficiency, it shows my pride. When I'm believing or allowing God to be God, it, it should permeate my work relationships, my work and my heart's desires. But instead, I tend to revert to my own ways, which are Bob's ways, which I think I know are better. And if truth be told, I would probably much rather take the credit for what is accomplished or what happens than to give the credit to God. And that, I'm just being honest with you. I mean, my heart's desire is that God would get the glory, that God would give the credit. But I often don't live like that. But, you know, if we think about the scriptures and we know that prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do, we know that God longs to answer the prayer in our lives. In fact, Scripture tells us that the Lord longs or seeks to do, wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. And the fact is, I'm not asking. Maybe you're not asking. Maybe we're not asking God to do those things. That brings me to the one thought, uh, or excuse me, the one verse that I referred to, and that's Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's just take a moment and turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to start with the first verse, and we're going to read through uh, verses 1 through 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the second, or the third uh, Gospel, Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And that's, that's the verse I want to focus on right now, is verse 1. Jesus taught, told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and to not give up. Now, it's an interesting verse that we need to unpack. And uh, before we take that one verse and apply it to a whole bunch of things, we need to look at that verse in context. In fact, when any of you do a Bible study, whenever you hear a pastor or a preacher or a guy on TV uh, preach and they use one verse, you always want to take a look at that one verse and look at the context, and then you want to look at the greater text of where that verse is found so that you understand that one verse, and that one verse doesn't mean something that it was never intended to mean, and then we create a whole uh, belief system around one verse. So we're going to take a look at that. So let's take a look and read through the rest of 18, 1 through 8. So let me just start at the top again. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will see that she gets her gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, it's kind of interesting as we go through this and we see that opening sentence, that opening verse, that Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples what the coming parable is going to be about. So Jesus takes a look and he looks at um, a few sentences, a few verses, and in that short uh, sentence structure, he has a story to tell. But he gives them a heads up as to why he's telling them this parable. This is interesting. Jesus decided to make this parable very clear to his disciples, but that wasn't always the case when Jesus taught to the crowds or his disciples. So what is it here that where Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know what this is about. I want to make it perfectly clear that you should always pray and not give up. In fact, I can think of many times when Jesus would tell a parable and his disciples would scratch their head and they look into one another and they say, well, what was he talking about? What, what was that about? And they, and they would think they were implicated perhaps through the parable, and sometimes they were. But, you know, so sometimes Jesus didn't make it really clear as to what the parable was about. But in this case, he made it perfectly clear. And so we look at it and say, okay, so what was this about? That they should always pray and not give up about what? Well, as we look through the passage, there's some hints as to what he's asking them to pray about. I think number one, he, is, he uses the character of a judge, an uncaring and a self-centered judge. He uses the character of a widow seeking justice, a widow who knew what it was like to be right, right and to be wronged, who once enjoyed a social status but has now been ignored and even persecuted. And then, of course, there's the unnamed adversary against whom this widow wants justice. Jesus sets, and then lastly, Jesus sets up the parable and then contrasts the inquiry of the widow and the response of the judge with God and his people. We also see, need to look at the, uh, the greater context of this passage. So if you, if you take your Bible, take your page, and you look back and forth, you'll see that in chapter 17, starting with about verse 20, that Jesus starts to talk about the kingdom of God. In fact, you go through most of 18, and Jesus is still talking, giving stories, giving illustrations, parables about the kingdom of God. So we know that as we look at these eight verses, and Jesus is telling his disciples that they should always pray and not to give up, he's referring to God's kingdom. Now, God's kingdom was something that the Israelites always looked forward to, that they anticipated, that they prayed about, that they yearned for. And his disciples were no exception. In fact, they thought that Jesus was going to usher in God's kingdom. And in fact, Jesus' advent, his coming to earth as a child, did indeed usher in God's kingdom. But God's kingdom is still in process. It's still in process today. God still has a work to do to get more and more subjects as more and more of us have an opportunity to bow our hearts in recognition of Jesus' lordship in our lives. But they thought about God's kingdom in a different light. They thought it was a material kingdom, a physical kingdom, and they thought it was a political kingdom. And so they were looking for that, thinking that Jesus was going to bring about that kingdom. And Jesus says, keep praying. 
pray, don't give up. Some translations on this verse say, don't lose heart. That's where Jesus was going with this. And so just as they were tired of waiting and enduring the oppression and the persecution of the Romans, they were longing for deliverance. And sometimes uh, this story reflects the same thing, that the widow was enduring the injustice done to her as a widow. But it says that they keep praying, and then it, it contrasts the unjust judge with God himself, the judge, the loving judge, the judge who does care. And so we see here the whole idea of these passages of that one verse is to pray and not give up. Have you ever prayed about something and felt that God was not listening to you? Have you ever prayed for something so fervently, so passionately, with tears running down your eyes, you know, down your face, that you say, God, will you please answer? I need an answer. I need you to do this. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever, can you identify what they're talking about here, wanting something, longing for something so bad that you say, God, why won't you answer me? When are you going to answer? For some of us who are here today, it might be in the area of just physical needs. Maybe some of you are just praying for the basic necessities of life, of food, of rent, of transportation. And you've been praying for that job You've been longing for that job that would help to meet those expenses that you have in just everyday life. For some of you, you're praying for something regarding your health and you're saying, Lord, this hurts. Lord, I, I can't deal with this pain, with this anguish anymore. And so you keep praying and praying fervently for God to do something and you keep waiting and waiting. God, do you hear me? And then some of us are waiting for the restoration of broken relationships that relationship that we once enjoyed that was, was joyful, that we enjoyed being together with that person, but something happened. It may have been our fault, it may have been their fault, and we just can't get it together. And then some of us are praying or anticipating and asking God for a spouse, for somebody to love, to someone to, to spend our lives with. These are all important. And the Bible tells us to pray about everything. So I want to Continue to encourage you to pray about what God has put on your heart, the yearnings of your heart. And I pray that as you pray those things, that God puts on your heart what's on his heart so that you're praying in accord with him. So sometimes we pray about all kinds of things, but today I want to raise our sights a little bit higher. And I want to encourage you to pray for something big. I want you to join me in trusting God for something big, something eternal, something that we can expect and anticipate that God wants, us, wants to accomplish in us and through us. And what is that? It's praying for people. It's praying for men and women and boys and girls who don't yet know Jesus. That's, what I, that's what's important that's what's eternal. I think about that passage in John 15, 16. Again, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says to, to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You ever pray a prayer and you wonder, 
Uh, is this what I should be praying? How do I know God's going to answer it? I can guarantee you from this passage in John 15, 16, that God has chosen you and called you, appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And in the context of this verse, it's not just, it's not spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace. It's fruit where God uses our lives to see other people come to know and love Jesus Christ. And so if, if you want to pray something and know that God wants to, God longs to answer, that will build and expand God's kingdom, pray for people. Pray for people. That's what God wants to do. You know, he, he chose us, not that we would remain in our holy huddles, but that we would bear fruit and see God use our lives in the lives of others. So let me ask you this. Who have you been praying for? Who are you trusting God for? Has God put someone on your heart to pray for, that they would come to experience the wonderful grace of God that you have, to have their sins forgiven, to have a purpose in life, and to know, to have the assurance of eternal life, not based on themselves, but based upon God's grace in their lives? Is there someone that you're praying for? I hope that there is. I hope that there's someone out there that you love, that you care for, that you're praying for. And, you know, for some of us, it could be a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, then we need to pray. It could be someone like a child, your child, then pray. It could be someone who just seems so far out there, you think there's no way no way that this person is ever interested in God or that God would ever change their, their heart or life. There's a guy I worked with in the Army, and we taught together at the Special Warfare School. And um, I remember he would take relish with pride, his obnoxious uh, crassness and pride and his disdain for God and for religion. And yet, to this day, I haven't seen him for about 10 years. To this day, God continually brings him to mind to pray for him. And at, at this point, I wonder what God's doing in his life. Because there would be little indications that he was listening, that he was watching, that he was observing, that he was taking notes, and that God was putting a number of other people in his life. And I wonder where he is now. But God continues to prompt me to pray for him. You know, when you think about that, how many people did God use in your life to pray for you? Maybe you were one of those lost causes like this guy seemed to be. And somebody continued to pray. Somebody continued to, to spread little seeds in your heart and life to get you to think, to get you to wonder about God. And lo and behold, you came to the point where you realized your need for him. And you opened your heart to him. Chances are God used a number of people in your lives. And it all started with somebody praying for you. If we want to extend God's kingdom, if we want to do something of eternal significance, pray. You don't have to know what to say. You don't know what, have to know what to do, what verses to show them. Just start with prayer. The fact is that as we continue to pray, it's not so much that our prayer changes God's heart, but as we pray and we seek God, that God uses prayer to change our hearts, 
to put on our hearts, again, what's on his heart, and that's people. So I want to challenge you to lift your sights, to lift your vision, that you should always pray and not lose heart or to be discouraged or to give up. What kind of joy might you experience? What kind of fruitfulness might you experience if you started to pray and ask God for the men, the women, the boys and girls in your life who don't yet know Jesus? And you were to intentionally start to pray for them. What kind of joy would that be for you? Think about the joy it was when you came to Jesus and what God can do in their lives that someday he could they, that person could join you in God's kingdom. That's what we're talking about. And then what would we look like as a church if intentionally every person in this room were praying for somebody that God's put on their heart? If God's put someone on your heart, even now as we're talking, don't blow it off. Don't blow it off. Pray for that person. It starts with prayer. And God will do the work. But pray that God would use you to bear fruit. I'd like to tell you a story. And nearly 100 years ago, a 16-year-old young man left his devout, devout uh, and God-fearing parents and sought to make money and a name for himself. Although he loved his parents very deeply, he thought that they were wasting their lives and their humble lifestyle and vocation. Now his parents loved him very much and labored shamelessly. They didn't give up, they didn't lose heart, and they prayed for him for many years. And they always prayed for him with the idea that he would come to know Christ. And he set out on his own and he met a variety of adventures, including being uh, a ship stowaway, riding a train across the continent, and being uh, arrested as a spy while avoiding, being, avoiding, avoiding excuse me, the ravages of World War I. So again, this is close to 100 years ago. Along the way, his parents probably wondered if their prayers had any impact on their adventurous son. You see, although he was a respectable young man, there was little evidence of a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ in his life. But like so many parents, they pressed on in prayer for their child. And when the son was nearly 21, he penned a letter to his parents with some unbelievable news. I'd like to read you a portion of that letter to see what he wrote. My dear parents, just a few lines to tell you some news that will sure to make you glad. At least God and I are glad. I was baptized last Sunday. More news that will make you glad. As you can see by the date, I am out at, say, Essinger. When I came out, my intention was to get some work done. But I was out in God's nature with hammer in hand, and God said to me, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. But I replied, no, God, I want to be an engineer. I want to win a good salary. But God kept on until the Spirit forced me to say, Lord, I give up all. And follow thee. So I am going to be a missionary. It was a thing I could never have dreamed of before, but I have given him both body and soul. Some are glad. Some will tease and say I am silly. But when, I, but when Jesus gave himself for me, can I not give myself to him? 
The call came so strongly that I knew it was God's will. All my ideas of being an engineer has died away, and my sole longing is to do as Jesus commanded. Go forth into all the world and preach the gospel. And he promised, lo, I am with you unto the end of the world. I am saving my money to try and begin in the seminary this autumn. Please pray for me that much, please pray much for me that God may enrich in me and that he make me a blessing to thousands of Chinese. Your ever affectionate son. Well, that son did enter seminary that fall and later received some medical training. He became fluent in Chinese and a number of other languages and set sail with his young wife to serve along with his loving parents in the country of China. By the time he died at the age of 101, he not only blessed thousands of Chinese, but Japanese and Americans as well. His ministry opened up doors for other missionaries in Brazil, Ethiopia, and India. That adventurous young man became a godly old man with a sparkle in his eye who looked death in the face many times. He met with presidents, emperors, and rickshaw coolies, and best of all, he got to tell people about the Savior he loved. That son was my grandfather. I'm so grateful that my grandparents, his parents, my great-grandparents, his parents, kept praying and didn't give up, that they didn't lose heart, that they didn't become discouraged. You see, their son, my grandfather, was a changed life that changed the world with God's love. And you know what? God can use you and the person that you are praying for right now to do the same thing. So, in conclusion, just two thoughts. We should always pray and not give up because prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given us the opportunity to pray. pray. And Lord, we just confess to you, I confess, and I think many of us in this room confess the fact that we don't turn to you in prayer, that, that we don't believe you in prayer, that we don't let you be God in our lives. Lord, we ask for your, your forgiveness. And Lord, we want to grow in this area of prayer. We want to trust you. We want to believe that you will do big things and that only you will get the credit, that we'll know it's from you. And so, Lord, as we pray for the important things of our lives, the, some of the basic necessities of our lives, we also pray that you would remind us to pray for the people around us, the people who have yet to come to know and love Christ. Would you use us and would you use our church to see more men and women and boys and girls come to trust Jesus? And we ask this in his mighty, his awesome, his powerful, and his glorious name. Amen.